Blog Talk Radio. Bringing you excellent entertainment from the king of DC media. Here's the Inside Acting Radio Show. Good evening, ladies and gents. This evening, my guest is the uber-talented Desiree Velez. Now, Desiree has an extensive stage, TV, and film background. She's been in the play Stop Kiss at Woolly Mammoth Theater in D.C. She's guest starred in HBO's Oz and appeared as a co-star in Chris Rock's Head of State. You can find out more about her at DesireeMarieVelez.com. That's D-E-S-I-R-E-E, Marie, and then Velez is V-E-L-E-Z. So now I give you Desiree Marie Velez. Hi, hi, William. Well, thank you, <laughs> and uh, I'm I'm speechless at that introduction that I got. I can only uh, just apologize if I sound a little like a truck driver. I have actually been at home the past couple of days. Yep, that daggone virus got a hold of me. I've been doing uh, work with a lot of kids lately, and those adorable little petri dishes have seemed to once again infected me, but I will not let that get me down. So I'm super excited uh, to talk with you. Um, I originally was from New York, but I moved here to the Virginia area uh, around my first year of high school. And I stayed here and I went through college here, and my career actually, believe it or not, started here as a, a Washington, D.C. Uh, native. Okay. Um, basically, I'm East Coast-based, and I started out with dinner theater, which is an excellent training ground for actors. I mean, where else can you deliver a speech and at the same time lean over a table and pour coffee and cream and sugar? <laughs> That's right. That's right. Because uh, I, I did want to take a, a step back to the beginning, and one thing I like about you is that you have, I notice you have excellent diction. So just talk a little bit more about your training. Well, um, I, I was lucky enough to uh, attend a high school in Stafford that had a drama department. And they, at that point, we were called Classical Trash. That was the name of our group. Every group had their, you know, <laughs> the nerds had their clique and so on. And so we were Classical Trash, and just about every contest, that was entered with a one-act play, we won. And so it was, it was just a magical moment. Um, I, you know, my teacher, my drama teacher was Mrs. Robinson, and uh, she also had uh, another set, uh, you know, um, husband and wife um, that taught us quite a bit. And there wasn't anything that we couldn't or wouldn't do. So we were always challenged more than, than what I see today at high schools. Um, But from there, you know, I went to college, and the next thing I started doing uh, was dinner theater. And then I branched into those shows that you see at theme parks. And, you know, like King's Dominion, Paramount Studios, whatever they call it nowadays, uh, where literally that was excellent training because you were doing, well, we were doing six shows a day, six days a week. Wow. And I I got into that, believe it or not, don't ask me how, as a singer and a dancer. And I 
had very limited training. Any training I got, I didn't get until my collegiate years. And I was up against people that had been dancing so long they could twist themselves into a noodle, people that had been singing so long they probably would have made, you know, America's Got Talent, all that kind of stuff. But not only what did I get in there, then I was announced as a swing. And I found out to <laughs> in a terrorizing moment that that meant that you had to learn people's various tracks and every day or every show you were a different person. And I had to wow. learn their entrances and exits, their solos, uh, certain, you know, solos and dancing, not just singing. And, I mean, I don't know how I did it. I, I, I think I remember carrying around my neck a, a little notepad that I would write on <laughs> upside down. And, wow. and I didn't even know the names of the dance moves. I would have to draw the stick figures in the position that they were in. <laughs> and, you know, even during the week when I was at my job, I would go to the bathroom when the manager wasn't looking, and I would practice the moves in the bathroom along with a girlfriend of mine who was also in one of the shows who was working at the same restaurant. From that, I went back to dinner theater. Dinner theater is a challenge because the people that you get there mostly are older people. And God uh-huh. bless them. They love entertainment, but often they're at an age where they're used to singing at home, watching in TV. And so they make comments and do movements and carry on conversations, not realizing that the actors are hearing this, you know. And I'll never forget, I had a a friend of mine delivering a speech in Brigadoon. And it was supposed to be a very mournful speech because Hattie's dead. And this gentleman said, hey, can I get some coffee? Hey, you're my waiter. Can I get some coffee? And, you know, Jim <laughs> Lawson was on stage trying to ignore him. We're all trying to ignore him. And I was oh, my God, what is he going to do? And he just, the man was relentless. He wouldn't even let any, and everyone else was starting to get mad. So Jim just quietly walked across the stage, picked up a coffee pot from one table, walked over to the center of the stage, picked up a creamer, walked over to the man, and poured him his cup of coffee and gave him his cream and sugar, put it down, went back to center stage and finished his speech. Wow, and I was like, wow, wow. Now, that's not the kind of acting you want to continue to do all your life, but it, it certainly is one of the best trainings in, in concentration and staying in character and being in the moment and not letting anything get you down and still deliver that flawless performance that people paid for to come see. For me, yeah. that still wasn't enough. So I wanted to do serious theater. Not saying that dinner theater isn't serious, but I wanted to do one where right. the, the people that would come were more in tune and and. Uh, more educated and expecting a higher level from you and that the concentration was. So I started uh, breaking into theater in Washington, D.C. Yeah. And I think I worked at Arena Stage. I broke yes, into you Arena, did. Arena Stage. Arena Stage. Uh, I was in, yes, I was in Pygmalion, and they made me, they were doing something different with it, and so they made me have a New Delhi accent. So I had the yeah. room speaking with the New Delhi accent, and, and uh, I know that Tammy Grime was in that. It was my first time being, you know, near Star. 
Um, from then on, um, I, I had also done something at the studio theater, and I, that's where I got to meet the famous Nancy Robinette, who recently got back from being on a Broadway show, and Sarah Marshall, um, just a number of people that also started in D.C. and have excelled and gone on to do bigger things. From there, um, I did a number of shows, one of them which was Fat Man in Skirts that I got nominated for Helen Hayes as a Best Supporting Actress. Um, I didn't win, but just being nominated and being amongst my peers was, to me, a win. And you did Um, something at Folger, too. Um, yeah, I got into, back then they had the classical intensive training program for minorities. And this is interesting that you bring this up because one of the things I fought early in my career was being Latina. How was that going to help and hurt me? Well, a lot of the people that were going to see plays that Michael Kahn was producing were asking, why is there not enough cultural diversity in the plays? Now, he did have Fran Dorn, Ed Giroux, who was uh, an Italian. You can play a number of parts. But they questioned me. said, well, there's just not any actors of color that are trained. So these people got together and said, then let's provide the training. And so through donations, they formed this, this training program. And I was lucky enough to be one of the people that got in it while it ran. And I think there were six or eight in our group, and you were given a stipend, and you would train with actual members of the theater company in voice and diction, um, stage combat, um, acting, uh, breaking up the uh, pentameters in Shakespeare because it's almost like a language in itself. Just everything that you could think, Alexander technique. I mean, I was so blessed to get that training. And we did do... Um, a version of Midsummer Night's Dream, and I got to play Hermia, which no doubt had to do a lot with my height. I'm a whopping, you know, five foot two. But in those days, I was very aware of color and shades and perceptions. And even though people kept saying, oh, you don't get it, Spanish is in, it's in. Well, no, it wasn't. I mean, we had one lady that was breaking in at the time. Um, yeah. And then later, Jennifer Lopez came much, much later. But, um, and her name is escaping me right now. You can probably help me with this. Very petite Spanish actress, Rosie Perez. Yeah. Every audition I got called for in New York or any place else, I would walk in and the first thing they would say is, um, yeah, can you sound more like Rosie Perez? And... Yeah. No offense to Rosie, but I, I said to myself, oh, this is so stupid. I'm not Rosie Perez. I'm not going to do it. And I would do it, and I would leave and hope they wouldn't hire me because I mm. felt yeah. what they're doing is still keeping a stereotype in their mind. You know, it's the Latin woman being crazy and funny, and, and um, Rosie has a very unique sound, and Rosie has had to overcome a lot herself. I mean, she actually had linguistic problems. She had to go to through, um, therapy and stuff for a list and things like that. She had yeah, to down. And, oh, yeah. And she is, her best work I ever saw was in a movie 
where she is a survivor of a plane crash. And I I think she got nominated um, for an Oscar for that. And I can't even remember the, the name of it, but she was phenomenal. And it took other people that believed in her to put her there. But for me, for a while, I would lighten my skin tone with makeup. I was using colored contact lenses. For the longest hmm. time, I went by Desiree Marie, and I wouldn't put my last name. Huh. And I remember one day my father being extremely upset about that. He saw my headshot, and he said, and my, my dad sounded like Desi Arnaz. He goes, how come you don't have the, your last name on this picture? Velez is a good name. <laughs> and I said, well, Dad, you know, um, I can't put Velez on there because, you know, I won't get hired. What do you mean you don't get hired? My daughter is beautiful. My daughter is talented. What, you ashamed? Are you ashamed of yourself? Are you? And, and he was so upset, and I could, for the first time, genuinely see so much hurt in his eyes. And I had to really search because I think at one point I was kind of ashamed. Not that because I had grown up in an Italian neighborhood, growing up in New York with a lot of Italians and Irish and all that. And in Brooklyn with a lot of people that weren't Latino. And so I didn't really get to experience a lot of Latinos or culture other than my own personal family. And when I would hear other people, you know, it was negative things that they were expressing. So as as a child, when you hear that enough, you begin to believe it, that you're Mm. less than what you should be. So not to get political, but more than ever, I find it more important to stay true to who you are, especially with the current administration, because I feel it's pulling out a lot of people out of the word work that have a certain ideology or way of thinking that could undo years of progress that we have made as a nation in creating more anything more equal. Right now, a lot of the shows that you see, thank God, are very diverse. They're hit shows with with all kinds of people and shapes and sizes and backgrounds. In fact, some of the the best shows that are getting nominated left and right are out of the norm. It's not not strictly – yeah. You know, Hallmark, even, 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 White Bread. Uh, Rita Moreno got some. Rita Moreno got some work on uh, <clears throat> Netflix show with uh, Norman Lear. Yeah, I, a lot of the top shows are coming from Netflix. Netflix is kicking butt, even with the um, the original movies they're making now. Netflix is really, I mean, I think Hollywood could learn a lot from Netflix. Um, but to go on, I, I kind of had to get over that hump myself, and I started not doing the colored contacts anymore. And um, I think uh, as you progress and you get work and people get to know you as an individual, they will call you directly, or they'll say to someone, hey, that girl I used in such and such, yeah, I want her back. And then you begin to build your own following in a sense with ex- with experiences and relationships that you build with other people, you can change their perception for the better, not just for you, for other people that come, and you can increase your level of work, which then increases how much you've seen, 
And with me, after theater, I was still longing for something more, and I wanted to break into film. And back in the day, I would say back in the day, because I ain't going to tell you my age, um, our area, Washington, and I bet you remember this, our area used to be the fourth in the entire United States for the highest amount of film production, and it was for industrials. Yeah. We did, every time you turned around, there was an industrial that was being made, a government industrial for the FBI or training for this or that, and a lot of them were union. So I was doing very well. I mean, I remember I I could actually go and narrate an industrial and, and make seven to $800 that day. Or I could wow. come in and do a day player role and make 400 for something, so I was booking those regularly, and then I said to myself, I love theater, but this is crazy. I can, in one day, make what would take me one to two weeks in theater. Yeah. So I said, I, I've got I've to explore this more. I became, um, I know you know Johnny Alonzo. You've had Johnny Alonzo um, on yeah. your show before. That's, that, that's like my brother from another mother. Johnny and I yeah. started through the ranks around the same time. And we both booked a show called Numbers Alive that was produced by Maryland Public Television through, I guess, again, private funding. It was an actual television series. I was booked as the tutor of this rock band that was traveling, and he was one of the uh, band members. And we got to go to several states, and it was on on national television, so that that helped us. But... um, Every, all good things come to an end. They ran out of funding, so there was only a certain number of episodes that they did. But it was great to be recognized by all these kids in all the schools because each time there was an episode, math was somehow worked into the episode. And they nice. had to figure out something. But well, Desiree, and I you, then, you've, got, you've got to talk about Coffin, too. Oh, okay. Well, this is how it all started we began auditioning in North Carolina which uh, back then they were doing movies there all the time in Wilmington and we were getting booked on TV series and things like that and something happened the the studio was sold and production just disappeared so we were all struggling Uh, then Johnny and I lost touch and moved out to LA blah 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 then we sort of circled back years later and found ourselves in the same area, and I told him, I need to find a way to to get back in the game. Um, I need to put my face out there because you're only as good as the last job that you did. He said, Desi, you're just dynamic, you're incredible, blah, 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 blah. Because of him, he was able to talk to the director of Coffin, and Uh he said he introduced me via email, and um, I wanted to, I sent an audition, which Kip, Trip, um, Kip Triple was so um, busy, he didn't even have a chance to look at. <laughs> wow. And, and I said, and, but based on how Johnny introduced me, he not only put me in the film, but he wrote a part for me. Nice. So then I started to re- research Kip. And the other thing that's very important about acting is you can't just live on acting. You have to do something else. 
or yeah. you may not survive in this. So I wanted to get into producing. And I started talking with Kip, and I said, look, I want to come in as a producer. So I'm an associate producer on this. I actually invested some money into this. Um, I wanted to learn, and so I was in. And I, I, was, I flew out to L.A., and I, I, also ch- I actually watched The First Coffin. And here's the thing. There's tons of independent films being made and tons of money being thrown away, and they end up with a movie, and then that's it. You never see it. It doesn't go right. anywhere. So you have to be smart. You have to look at people's track records. And when I started to research Kip and Derek Wingo, you know, their company, they had already broken in. And not only did they produce stuff and, and they write their own scripts, but they got distribution for it. Without That's distribution, you have nothing. Yes. Right. So, I mean, so I came on board. Um, I impressed them. Uh, I was impressed with how they worked. So Coffin 2 was made, and it has come out. Um, now it takes a year for you through editing and all the countless meetings that people have trying to get, you know, get it distributed. But a year later, almost to the date that we started shooting it, it came out on Redbox. From Redbox, we now uh, have been released onto iTunes, Google Play, and Amazon. Nice. And and that is and and this was perfect because around the time this movie started to come out, I once again broke back into the stage, and it was the first time I was in stage uh, in ten years, and it was at Theater J doing a play by Nilo Cruz, and it was directed by Jose Carasquillo. And it was called Soto Voce. And there were only three people in the play. I was one of them. Outstanding reviews for us. So I right. was on cloud nine. But now here is the reality. It takes a while for those residuals to come in. Yeah. So before you can even start on a coffin three, which, by the way, we are going to do, um, you have to wait till that money comes in so that you can recuperate. You know, because you still have to eat. Some of us have kids that we have to feed. You know, I have my mom here who's elderly. I need to help her out. Um, so you have to it, – it's, it's so tempting to just jump in right away, but you have to be smart and wait. Wait. Yeah. Good things happen to those who wait. Get all your ducks in a row. Recoup your money that you put in. And then you're in a better position to approach investors for the third one. But the, right. the great thing is now that I'm on board with this team, and by the way, you know, um, the one who um, really has the, the trademark for the Coffin series is um, Skyrocket Productions. Um, right. And so, but there's other scripts outside of that that we have that are amazing. You know, a couple of ghost stories. One is a comedy that I'm dying to do, but the comedy was going to require – a lot more funding. Um, it's going to require a couple of people. Like, I love Danny Trejo. He's just hilarious. You know, I was trying to get up to New York and mm. talk to John Leguizamo, who I uh, did a film with years ago, to kind of put the bug in his ear. But um, all that was contingency. See, that's the other thing. Uh, all this happens with relationships that you build with other people. 
Yeah. And once you build these relationships, you think you've everything's perfect, and then life comes in and says, uh, excuse me, you forgot about me? You can't really control me? So Johnny and I mm-hmm. co-host for Click on This, uh, and our producer, um, Elena Muscat, she's based in Baltimore, uh, we do all these great interviews with musicians and actors, and we were trying to set all these up. And God bless her, Elena. Um, she is um, under cancer treatments right now. And I think right. she's, um, she probably already had her third. She has one more to go. Uh, thank God they caught it early. So that kind of put a damper in things because um, everything came to a halt. It's just bad timing, you know. Yeah. Um, and so we said, well, we'll just shut down everything. I mean, I have to hand it to her. Through her illness, she was able to pull off the first ever Baltimore New Media Web Fest. Oh, and yeah, we I had, was there. Oh, yeah, remember? The, some of those guys are amazing. That's the, that's the thing. There's so much talent. There's so much that people can do. The problem with this industry is, you have to have connections to the people that have all this money. And people that have all this money don't just drop it to anyone that walks in off of the street because they have been burnt by others who, look, let's face it, anytime somebody writes a script, they think they have the best script. Oh, no, this is the best script. This is it. And God bless them, it may be, but they don't know a thing about the industry. And, again, they get all this money from people, they produce this film, and then there's no distribution. And so all wow. these people have lost their money, and now all they have is pretty much what I call a director's demo reel, <laughs> because, you know, mm. that's what it becomes. Great, the actors get something for their demo reel, but it, it doesn't go anywhere. So that's the trick. And I think anyone starting out making a film Start out with the lowest amount of cast people. Don't try to do things with car chases and ambunition because um, that's going to bring in things to, uh, through the union and maybe not even the union where you, are, where you have to get certain permits, where you have to pay to have um, a licensed uh, either, either someone that deals with stunts or firearms. You may even be required to pay and have on set um, someone, you know, that deals with, with uh, like a paramedic. I, I know that when right. we did the, uh, the movie um, Super Mario Brothers, we had 14 paramedics on that set. Wow. That's, that's a lot of money. So you're better off starting a film that you know you can afford to do, that's just a, that the script can hold itself on its own without needing all this other off and hopefully put uh, your money into getting people with facial recognition. I want to take a I want to take a right turn into uh, you've done some really great work. I mean, October Road and Asunder was one that I saw uh, with Blair Underwood. So talk about how you uh, wound up in that film. Well, you know, I, I you know I I went through a period in my life where I was very depressed, and we all go through that. You start to question, you know, what you're supposed to be doing. Is it what God wants me to do? If he wants me to do this, why isn't it working? You know, um, God does everything in his own time. 
but there is there is a plan even though you don't realize it at the time so here I was trying to get back into the film industry <laughs> and I said oh you know the Fincannons the casting directors the Fincannons I knew move blah 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 but somehow someone locally called me in for this audition and that lady has since she was a very wonderful lady it's been so many years, I, I don't even remember her name, but she was an agent in Norfolk, and she passed away from breast cancer. Um, oh. But at the time, she and her husband had called me in to audition for this film, and she wasn't sure how to say this. She says, listen, I'm calling in. You're very professional, all this, but I, you know, there's, I have to warn you about the script. There's some language, and there's some nudity. And she says, but it's not porn. It's not porn. So I said, well, you know, let's see. You know, shoot me the script. So then I found out Blair Underwood was going to be in it. I was like, hell yeah, I'm trying out for this thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually, um, they liked my audition that was taped. They called me back for a callback. So I go over to New Millennium Studios, which was new at that point, And lo and behold, there was Tim and Daphne Reed there. Amazing. I said, oh, my God, that's Tim Reed. I saw him in Love Boat. You know, I was being the silly, you know, kid. (laughs) I remember him in Love Boat. And then, you know, um, they bring in Blair. And there was an amazing calmness that came over me. Um, First of all, he looks exactly like he does in person as he does in film. Just exactly. (laughs) And we started to do the audition which kind of was a little like me trying to seduce him or whatever. And he said, and he said, oh, my God, you know, and, and I blew them away. I don't know why, but I blew them away. Nice. And I remember Blair Underwood saying to me, where were you trained? Who, who did you train with? Nice. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, all my life I've taken acting classes of all sorts, and I assume I've gotten better. I mean, I feel I've gotten better. Um, sometimes at auditions, I know I've gotten better, but there's always that thing inside you that says, I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, my God. When they find out, I don't know. I mean, you, you really feel like any minute now the jig's going to be up and they're going to discover you don't know what you're doing. So <laughs> I'm, I'm standing there saying to myself, what do I say? And I said, well, you know, honestly, I've just, you know, I have studied at the Shakespeare Theater Company, uh, I've taken some, you know, courses at the studio theater. I mean, it was, you know, and he goes, yeah, yeah. I said, basically, you know, yeah. That's, <laughs> I mean, I didn't know what to say. I couldn't say Uta Hagen or anything like that. Um, but, he, but I said, but thank you. Thank you for the compliment. Now, there was, the script was very, hmm, uh, let me just say this. Tim Reed had to go over the script and change a lot of it because it was really, too foul, mm. language-wise. Okay. And, and it actually took away from the story. So mm. he toned that down. And there was some nudity involved on, on my part. And I had a discussion with my fiancé at that point about it. And he was okay with it because we knew what it entailed or how much of it was. And I expressed to him, look, this is a once-in-a-lifetime chance that me – a girl based out of the Virginia, D.C. area is going to get to act as a co-star with somebody like Blair Underwood, 
directed by Tim Reed. You know, I mean, this could really help me again yep. with facial recognition. So he said, go for it, and I did, and I did. And it may not have been the best film in the world, but it was not the worst. I had Michael Beach was in that. He's he's amazing. Uh, just yeah. a number a number of people in there were just amazing, amazing, and yeah. very respectful, very family oriented. No no foul play. None of this Weinstein stuff going on. Just you know, a, I could I could actually say a wholesome set, if that even exists. What's your take on the, the scandals in Hollywood? You know, I have to say that they are there, and they will probably always be there in in any type of industry. Um, I kind of get upset sometimes when they talk about the women. Well, why did they wait so long? Blah blah blah. Well, I can say from experience that I lost a job of eight years that mm. I had once I filed a harassment complaint, and mind you. This was not sexual harassment. This was just harassment. It was dynamics between two different people, and I naively thought maybe this will put the brakes on it a bit. But then again, I thought, you know what? I bet you I'm just going to lose this job. And at that point, I had dealt with it for so long that I didn't care. I said, you know what? I may lose this job, but now it's documented, and if they continue this kind of behavior with other people, it's marked. It's labeled. So I did file that complaint, and yes, a series of things were done to me that were in an effort to get me to quit, to push me out. Um, it was very hard. I think I broke down at work a couple of times, and I was finally let go in June. And um, then a, a week later, my my stepsister passed away from pancreatic cancer. Oh. So it was a very tough June, but. I tell you, I have never felt so much better after leaving that job. And I won't go into it because, you know, God forbid you mention company names or people, the next thing you know you have a lawsuit in your hand. But um, from experience, that's why it takes women so long to come around. Because even with other women working, if it's something that they feel is going to show badly upon them, um, they won't help you. And a lot of times other people are just, it's every man for themselves kind of thing. I don't want to be involved. You just mention you. Don't mention me. So you don't get any support, even from the very people mm. that experience the same thing. So I'm very proud of the women that are coming through, and I hope that, I mean, this, is, it's, this has been amazing. It's been like, hasn't it? Hasn't, haven't you felt like somebody just hit one domino, and now all of them are going click, 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 you know, first it was Weinstein, and then the next thing you know, it it was um, the guy from that used to do the show with Katie Kirk, and then yeah. from there it went Matt on Lauer. to yeah. the doctor from from that was tr- that was taking care of the women athletes that were gymnasts. It just it just it just kept going. Yeah, maybe that's what it needed. That's right. You know, okay, mean, so we're, we're getting down to about seven minutes. So there's a couple other questions I want to cover. Um, quickly describe your method of acting. You know, my method of acting has has 
come down to this. I don't, I don't overanalyze it anymore. I think that that actually used to hinder me more than anything. Um, mm. Because if you overanalyze something, you can't feel. You can't think. It's too much pressure. It's like you're trying to solve a math equation. And guess what? I've never been good in math. So when I get a script, I just, whatever time frame it's in, I just act as if it's happening to me right now. And I, and I have found that sometimes in acting, when you think you're understating something, it's usually when you're most powerful. Yeah. And that's, that's what's been working for me. Amazing, amazing. So how was it like working with HBO? Well, HBO, it's funny. It's not really like you're working with HBO. How it works is you produce a show, and then HBO almost acts like the distributor of it or the one that, that takes credit for it, in other words. So when I was with John, we did the first episode of Oz, um, I was opposite John Seda, and we actually filmed that in Baltimore because the same people that were known for writing and producing, you know, the, uh, the other series that had been there forever, which was Homicide, um, they also were, pro- were producing this. So we shot it there, and Darnell Martin, she directed it. She's that, now she's real big now. Um, and the next thing we knew, they took that, and then they started shooting everything else in New York. I guess hmm. they had a studio in New York. So the people that I worked with would be the actual directors or writers, producers, but not so much the people from HBO. I never actually got to meet people from HBO. Huh. Just like when, just like when we did Mario Brothers, I never met anyone from Disney. I, I didn't even know it was going to be distributed by Disney or it was going to be a Disney movie until after we were done shooting. And they said, "Oh yeah, Disney Disney has it." And I said, "Really? <laughs> wow! You never know everything." <laughs> there you go. How do you keep your instrument sharp? Um. I don't know if it's the fact that I keep the instrument sharp or more that I can't keep the desire down. Oh, wow. The hunger, the need, the desperation. Um, the, I, I, I said to Johnny at one point, I feel when I'm, when I'm not doing – I went through a period, again, of reassessment. We all do this. You know, I had classmates that had married. They already had the house. They got a nice, you know, 401K going. They got the kids, you know, blah, blah, blah. And I felt like I was such a loser. Well, I don't have any of that, you know. So I tried to be one of them. I tried. I, for, I, I kind of stepped out of acting for a while, and I was miserable. And my life wasn't any better off than it was when I was trying to act. So. Yeah. I I also had a conversation with another actor, Mike Willis, who says, let me tell you something. The whole thing about stability or the whole thing about financial security 
he said because my husband because he and his wife had a payroll business um talent payroll business wrong he was an actor as well he said the thing that you have to realize is it's all um how did he phrase it not a a, a mirage but basically it may not be as stable as it appears that mm. doing all the right things for security doesn't mean that you're actually going to have security and we saw that with the thousands of people during the housing crash yeah. who lost everything. And so I said, so I started saying, you know, and then someone else uh, said, uh, quoted something out of the Bible that, you know, basically saying that if you have this constant, and even Steve Harvey, I love Steve Harvey. I used to listen to him every day before I went to work. He said, if you are a man or woman that has this constant that you can't stop thinking about something, not once. It's always there. It's always that want, that desire, that hunger. And he said, well, then that means that is what you're supposed to be doing. That is yeah. the, God, the gift God gave you. Trust in the gifts that he gave you. And, it, and it's true. If you trust in the gifts that God gave you and you use the gifts, the money will come. It may not be as fast as you want. It may not be as much as you want, but it will come. And, I, and I've started living by that perspective, and I started my own face and body um, painting company called Mystical Smiles, and I now paint at three restaurants with the Glory Days Grill Corporation three nights a week, and I also have other restaurants that I put fellow artists at. So I'm getting steady income during, during the week. I get a little percentage from them. Um, I do other things, and then, you know, that way I've created – some money coming in, but also the freedom that when I have an audition or I book a job, I can do it without a company holding something over my head about you're going to get fired or you're going to get written up. That's a horrible, horrible thing for someone trying to be creative. But that's, that's what I have, the desire, the yearning, the passion, um, and the fact that when I try to do other stuff, I'm just not as good at it. <laughs> <laughs> Desire, yearning, and passion. Okay, Desiree, I guess we're wrapping up here. So just quickly put out there uh, how fans can keep up with you and uh, how people can uh, hire you to do some face painting. Oh, sure. Well, um, Instagram, I am listed as only one Desiree Marie. And you can find, I have a Facebook page called Mystical Smiles Face Painting. Um, I also have an actor's Facebook page. Desiree Marie Velez or Desiree Velez. And, of course, you can get me on IMBD, International Movie Database, and you can also catch me on www.DesireeMarieVelez.com. All right. Hey, it's been a real pleasure tonight. Well, thank you so much for having me, and I just want to continue to encourage people of all shapes and sizes and colors I mean, together we're breaking down those barriers. Even the age barrier is breaking down. Oh, my God, I, look at all those fabulous women that have won awards lately, you know, um, for the, the, the fabulous movie The Maids, and they've gone on to do bigger and better things. And look at their ages. So, you know, don't let anything get you down. If you listen to the naysayers, you'll never do anything. Absolutely. Okay, Desiree, will you have a blessed night? You too. Thanks for having me, William. Absolutely. Okay. Good night. Bye-bye.
All right, folks, remember to do something for your career every single day and break a leg. Good night. Under the dark you pacify me Hold my breath Take me down, I won't fight Beat of my heart, you drum inside me Somewhere my death Makes a sound no one can find